Welcome to this week's extra film segment for July 10th, 2019, and I'm Ryan McQuaid. And I'm Jay Ledbetter. Thanks for coming back to the show, guys. For those of you not familiar with extra film, this is something we do every Friday, where we get together and we talk about the small films, the indies, or the classics that we normally don't have time for on the main show. And on this week's show, Jay, we will be discussing the newest drama from director Christian Petzl, Transit, that is out now on Video On Demand. And in the back half of the episode, we will be discussing the classic Bogart-Bergman romantic war, comedy, drama, all rolled up into one, Casablanca. It's a little bit of a different episode, but I think once you guys listen to the show, you'll understand why we are pairing Casablanca with Transit. But that being said, we'll talk about that in a minute. First, I have to say hello to my co-host, Jay Ledbetter. How are you doing, my friend? How's your week been? How was your 4th of July? I know we didn't really get to talk about that on the last episode. Uh, So how was your 4th of July, my friend? It was very good. Went out of town, went to the beach, got roasted. I'm peeling pretty bad right now. So uh, that's definitely a, uh, you know, a negative on that side. But because I was sunburned, got to watch a lot of Redbox at the beach, which is exactly what you want to do at the beach, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I totally emptied out that Redbox of all the bad movies it had in it. So, you know, night school, (laughs) small foot. (laughs) <laughs> all your all your 2018 favorites i i got to experience them so no but it was a lot of fun it was so nice to get out of town have a little bit of a break we saw some awesome fireworks and you know the little time that we were able to spend at the beach was a lot of fun and man did we have some great great food it was an awesome awesome trip how about yours um i really didn't do much i was kind of just uh chill and mostly relaxed i got to go see spider-man which uh, i really enjoyed and i was glad that guys gave a mostly positive review on last week's show um i uh what else did i do no i was just kind of chill i didn't really do anything i mean that's the point of kind of taking like a couple days off right yeah man that you just kind of relax and, and, and be carefree and not have to worry about too much um, so I was kind of surprised though from all the films that you watched and it seems like you were really going deep down the dumpster uh, to see films that you didn't catch Serenity. That's a film that you've been trying to catch for a while. I've already I've seen Serenity already. Oh, I thought you Oh, I thought you hadn't seen Serenity. No, I've seen it. It's um I was kind of underwhelmed by how <laughs> bad good it was. It was like interesting-ish and then it gets really weird and I was kind of bored by it at times it's just kind of there I'm not it's not one that I'm really going to remember I didn't think it was terrible I didn't think it was good I thought it had one really interesting part and the rest of it was pretty forgettable as like a thriller uh, adjacent movie so what you're saying that was your favorite film of the year so far? My favorite film of all time, actually, is what I was saying. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. And great that you guys got to go to the beach. Uh, super jealous about that. And I will try to hold back my envious uh, tone with you throughout this episode. But uh, before we get into this week's show, we have to plug this week's uh, episode for the main show. And that is episode 334. They will be reviewing... The Farewell, the newest film from Lulu Wang. 
I'm very interested in seeing that film. Jay, uh, I know that's one that you and I were, were kind of hoping that we would get here on Extra Film, but obviously uh, it's kind of a thin week. And so the boys up at the main show get to review that one. So super excited to hear mm. their thoughts. I don't know if it's coming to town near you uh, or what your anticipation level is for the film. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I actually don't think it's coming to me until next week. I have the opportunity to see it at a press screening on Monday, I believe. But, uh, uh, you know, not going to go now that I don't have to uh, review the film for extra film. But uh, really looking forward to hearing what the guys have to say about it, because it is one that I'm really, really looking forward to. Everything I've seen from it has looked great. Uh, all the reviews have been pretty glowing. Aquafina, man, apparently an Oscar threat. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it seems so. I mean, it, it was really great to see her last year in, in, in Ocean's Aid and obviously Crazy Rich Asians, uh, but to see her branch out in kind of more of a dramatic role, that's, that's really interesting, and I've heard a lot of great things about this film. Uh, coming out of Sundance earlier this year. But we don't really have a poll or we don't know what a top three it is. So those will be determined. So, Jay, why don't we review some movies here on Extra Film this week? So without further ado, let's get into it. And here we go. You're listening to the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film segment. Jay, so I can only stay here if I can prove that I don't want to stay? Obviously. Er suchte ein Hotel, etwas, wo er Ruhe finden, wo er sich verstecken konnte. Alle Hotels waren überfüllt. Das siebte Hotel, obwohl das Schild Complet über der Straße leuchtete, hatte dann doch ein Zimmer frei. Une semaine d'avance. Une semaine? Parce que s'il y a une rafle, je vais encore me retrouver les mains vides. Vous n'avez pas de titre de séjour. Mais je ne veux pas rester. Et ça, euh, il faut pouvoir le prouver. Et comment Vous allez à la préfecture et vous leur montrez votre visa et votre billet de bateau. Donc, je peux rester ici seulement si je peux prouver que je ne veux pas rester. <rire> C'est combien And that was a clip from Transit, the newest film from director Christian Petzl. It stars Fran Grosowitz, Paula Beer, and Gohard Geese. This film has been one that we did not get to catch early in the year, um, and we're reviewing it tonight. So, And the film is about a man attempting to escape Nazi-occupied France, but he falls in love with the wife of a dead man who is an author that he's switched identities with. And that's pretty much it. We don't want to get too spoilery with this opening, if it were. But Jay, the reason why that we 
partnered this with Casablanca is because this film has a lot of similar themes to that original film. Mm -hmm. Obviously not in sense of tone, but in sense of storytelling. And the novel that this was based on was actually written in the same year that Casablanca came out. And Christian Petzold is a director that came out with the film a couple of years ago, Phoenix, that was in my top 10 of that year. It's, it's one of my favorite films I saw just a couple of years ago. So, Jay, I don't know if you've seen Phoenix or any of Petzold's other work, but if you have, what are your thoughts on Petzold as a director? And what were your thoughts of Transit? I have not. So, uh, yeah, uh, I actually have Phoenix waiting for me to watch in my little iTunes queue right now. I have rented it. I'm very excited to watch it for reasons that we will get to throughout this review, I think. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as for transit itself, it's one that we've talked about doing so many times. And then it was always just sort of coming in months and months and months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It always kind of kept coming in in third. And, you know, we had a pretty thin week as far as the indie scene this week. And, you know, we want to meet our foreign film quota. And this was a very well reviewed film. So, we checked it out. I was really excited to watch it. Uh, and because of it, I'm really excited to dig into the Petzold uh, filmography. I, you know, the like you said, Transit is based on a novel uh, of the same name, which was published in 1942. And obviously in 1942, the Nazis were occupying the city of Paris. Mm-hmm. However, what I love about Transit is that when the film opens... We are treated to modern police vehicles and like the vague presence of a computer monitor. It all feels very modern. And the decision to use modern aesthetics and language in this film, which is based on a uh, World War II novel and basically uses the exact same story and places, I thought that was a really inspired choice and gave the film an intense sense of of relevance in the world today. There's There's a movie it actually reminded me of Uh, Stanley Kubrick's first film, which is not a good film. Uh, It's called Fear and Desire. It's not particularly good. But I think it is really interesting because it presents two uh, warring factions whose motivations and morality are never discussed. And this to me had had something very similar that that I liked, which was we don't really get the background of this. The only thing we can relate it to is World War II, but it's set in a modern setting. So I think obviously Petzold is equating some of the things that the world was experiencing in World War II to what the world is experiencing now. I don't think it's any secret that we live in rather turbulent times, um, and he certainly ups the drama by staging it in a World War II circumstance, but um, it's it's not the farthest stretch um, in history. So, you know, transit is as in immigration, is an incredibly pervasive issue in both Europe, and this is a German film. Christian Petzold is a, is a German director, as well as in America. It is impossible not to equate the issues in the 1942 novel to what the world is experiencing right now. And Petzold, what I, what I think he does so well in this is he does it very eloquently. It is not abrasive, and it's messaging, but I, I found the film to be extremely gentle. And it shifts from very melancholic, like reveling in the monotony of being stuck in one place while trying to both stay invisible and trying not to completely lose your sanity. And then it will become truly sad. Uh, it will flip-flop between the two on a very consistent basis. And I found the film extremely moving 
and unique. It's unlike any film that I've seen this year. And while the film burdens the viewer with a lot of thematic weight, I think the story is incredibly compelling on its own. It's not cumbersome. Uh, the thematic weight of it, it's a very heavy thematically, but the story itself, I think, is very interesting uh, on a very to a very broad audience. It, it almost feels like a spy movie at times, I thought, thanks in no part um, to the score, which really feels at points like it could be in a James Bond movie. It has stolen identities. It has secret rendezvous. It even has a little gadget work thrown in. I think in the hands of someone interested in more straightforward filmmaking, it could have been a, a pretty decent spy movie. But obviously, Petzold weaves in great threads of character study and humanity. And I love the star, Franz Rogowski. He possesses an incredibly unique face and an incredibly unique voice, which makes him just a very compelling performer. And that really comes in handy when your film is so focused on one character, and especially when it features as many close-ups as this film does. And I think through his performance, you feel a sense of inevitability to the proceedings in the film, the inevitability of disappointment, the inevitability of bureaucratic red tape. It's a movie called Transit, but it's a movie about being stuck. The characters who yearn for freedom in the film are stuck in purgatory. This this beautiful city, Marseille, is the middle ground between heaven and hell in the movie, but even through the misery, what I admired so much is that Petzold never fails to find beauty in the world. And I thought, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but this is encapsulated by a wonderfully ambiguous final shot that nails home the theme of identity and gives us one last glimmer of hope, or does it? It's it's an incredibly striking final image that really leaves you thinking, and because of that, the film has stayed with me. It's a beautiful film, absolutely, and, and I think it's really, really good. Yeah, I like I said... I have seen Christian Petzl's previous film, Phoenix. And that movie is a slow burn that leaves you gobsmacked by the end of it. And with one of the best endings, I think, of this decade. Um, if you haven't seen Phoenix, please go check it out. And Jay, I do highly recommend that you do see it as oh, soon as I, I possible. I was planning, trying to watch it before this podcast. Unfortunately, wasn't able to get to it. But I'm watching it this week, absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, it, and it's so great because it takes these elements of Hitchcockian thrillers and sets it in this relationship that's at the core of it. And that's in Phoenix in transit. I think he takes some of those things that he did in that film, the kind of eeriness, the sense of loneliness, uh, the fight for struggle and elevates that um, due to the source material that he is using this 1942 book. Like you mentioned uh, that was based around, you know, obviously World War II and sets it with this, you know, Nazi occupied France said modern day with possibly what is it? Communist fascists, um, you know, basically, you know, neo-Nazis, if it were running a society Though we don't really get to see a lot of them, but the fear is there. You know, it, it, it is these police rounding up, you know, suspects and brutally beating them, taking them wherever they want. Obviously, you know, it, it is air goes back to um, what happened in world war two. It's truly haunting and terrifying to watch Georg, uh, our main character in this film, try to survive. It's truly harsh to watch, you know, and that then makes the decisions that he's making throughout the film so much harder 
because here you are with your main character having to make decisions that are extremely difficult, you know, taking this man's identity that has died, um, thus, you know, causing a friction in a relationship with the wife that is trying to find him, the people around him, the relationships he's building while he's still there waiting in transit. Uh, the film is fascinating in terms of looking at all sides of how someone could be stuck in a rut and not have a place to go. And the decisions of said rut, you know, this movie deals a lot with people having to make difficult choices, right? Jay and making choices that are extremely nerve wracking due to the fact that, you know, at any moment they could be rounded up and they're hiding from place to place, running from place to place, um, trying to make sure that they get on this, this, this quest that is to in the film, it's Mexico. I don't know what it is in, in the novel. It could be Mexico. It could be the United States. Um, and I found it to be really fascinating. This struggle that our main character has to go through. And then of course the relationship that builds throughout the film with Marie, the wife of the author that he uh, steals the identity of and her relationship to sadness and her kind of transit, but it's different in how both of them start connecting through their sense of loneliness. It's a truly fascinating study on that. And that's what I love about the film. When it focuses on these characters, it focuses on their sadness. Also his relationship gear with this, this young family uh, with this mother that is deaf and this little boy that uh, he has kind of mentored and the idea of, of him trying to start a multiple life, you know, trying to just help out these people. And it's really interesting how he is going through trying to help as many people as he can while he is helpless himself. And I love that about the film. There are some issues with this film, Jay. Uh, I, there's a mechanism that is talked about in the film adaptation about voiceover. And I thought about that the entire time I was watching this movie because the voiceover in this movie is really, really grating and really, really distracting. No, and no, no. instead of no, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. It's really pointless at times too, and leads to a conclusion of that narration that I didn't need. I didn't need a novel told to me. I thought that the rest of the film was doing a beautiful job in the minutia in the kind of world building that it didn't need to tell me what it was already showing me. And I could kind of figure that out on our own. That's what's beautiful about Phoenix. That movie isn't telling you, it's just showing you. And you have to fill in the pieces as it goes. That's one of those films where it's like, okay, I don't need it explained to me. This film tries to be a novel and try to explain that and try to explain feelings and try to explain backstory instead of just showing it. And I think that that would have been a much more effective way of doing the entirety of the story. But by the end of this film, the ending, not even just the scene that you're mentioning, the ambiguous ending, which we can kind of talk about, but not really talk about, because I don't want to spoil it. The, there is a reveal. There is a twist. I think this is Ponsel's thing where he just likes to do a twist. I did not see it coming just based off of where we were at, how much we have already gone through with these characters. We still don't know what it means either. No, we don't know what it means. And I was completely surprised by it. And then that ending, which our friend Brendan Casty 
uh, on the main show who reviewed this film in written form on InSessionFilm.com, he talked about how that ending he didn't film was earned. I think by that ending, uh, the scene before, the twist, and then leading to the final shot, I think it's very much earned, but it ties both together in terms of this ambiguousness that were left, and that's exactly how these characters feel, is ambiguous, in transit, waiting. And it's really beautiful way. There are issues and we could talk about it, but overall I am very positive on the film. I really did like it, but um, it's just not 100% what I expected. All right. Let's that's a good thing, but also a bad thing. Let's talk narration. Okay. Okay. So I will try and put forth uh, a justification for the narration. First and foremost, I really do think that um, that he admires Petzold, admires the novel that the film is based on. So he is trying to get some of the wonderful prose uh, of the novel out there for people to admire, and it really mm-hmm. adds a lot to the themes of the film. I think also what it does is give the film a a different perspective because it is very much about Georg. But when you look at this bartender, you think about what a bartender does. He sees people come and go all the time. He is a person to whom people are unafraid to tell their entire story to because there is a sense of familiarity even in the short term when you have a bartender around. At a bar, your inhibitions are lessened. And because of that, you are willing to tell the entirety of your story to this guy that you've never really met before. I think what the story is also trying to say is that all of a sudden, Georg has become this regular customer at this bar because he wants to be anywhere else in the entire world, but he is stuck in this place And it's not a particularly showy bar. He's never really doing anything except sitting. He's never really communicating with anyone. Most of the time, people are staring at him. Um, I I do love in the film how the only person who really is willing to talk to him, interact with him, uh, is, is a kid. Uh, because everyone else is very put off by him. They're scared of what will happen if they even talk to him. They're, they're scared of being associated with him because they don't want to be uh, given the same fate that he would if he was potentially caught. They don't want to risk helping him. And the only person in the city of Paris that is really willing to help Georg is a an innocent child who really doesn't know any better and is chastised uh, by his mother for it. She She is completely untrusting of Georg, and eventually, through various events in the film, he even becomes distant from the uh, from the kid himself. But, you know, back to the narration, again, just lovely words and prose that I think really add to the themes. And the idea of the bartender and what a bar represents, I think, is very important to the story itself. Um, and it also allows us to uh, look at into Georg's mind at certain points because Georg is communicating his thoughts and not just the events to the bartender. So we get to hear about, we get to hear the novel that he is reading from the man whose identity he has stolen, which have some of the most insightful parts of the film. I think so much of that novel is a direct reflection 
of the themes that Petzold is trying to portray in this film. I think the narration is justified. It is a little jarring at first. I can I can agree with you there, but I think in the end, it completely justifies being there in the film. Yeah, I just don't see that. Um, look, obviously, you can have an homage or uh, appreciation to a beautiful novel. I think that that's what this film is. It is an appreciation of this beautiful novel. I think it is also using this novel as a commentary on immigration of now, immigration of old, um, the you know social, uh, political um, nature of today's culture versus the past. I think it's really well done. And I think that there's this novel that Georg picks up from the author that he whose identity that he takes. And I think that, you know, he's reading the novel and I think that that's fine. And if there's passages out of there, that's fine. But then this narration comes in and it sets in this kind of thing in my head where I'm trying to figure out who this narrator is and what is he important to the story or does he, oh, I, how does I he love relate? the reveal of who the narrator is. And I love it. When it's revealed that it is just this bartender, this bar that oh, he's I been going it. to, this restaurant that he's been going to day in and day in and day in and day out. I was like, that's it? It's a reveal that is completely underwhelming to me. He's been stuck there for so long that he is able to tell the entirety of the story. They tease you that it is an omniscient narrator, and then it turns out that it is this guy who he has now known for so long that he has been able to communicate and live through this entire story with. Yeah. I just didn't feel that I, and, and, and it's not a huge criticism, uh, I guess of the overall film. It's just something that irked me is that it was, I can felt that it was completely unnecessary. It didn't need to be there. It's not something that, you know, needs to show exactly what Georg and the rest of these characters are going through. We can see it. We can feel it. We, we, we know what they're going through. If you take that narration out of him having to explain this stuff, it was just like, I can just have these characters either say it, or I could just see it, or I could just put the pieces together. I don't need a narration in this. And I don't, I'm not opposed to narration in film. I think narration sometimes can work and sometimes it can't. Um, I just don't think it works in this movie, Jay. And, and, it, and it may work for you, obviously. It, it, it seems to have worked for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I, I just felt like it was another piece of a puzzle that I was trying to figure out where it fit. And when I found out where it fit, I was like, this is pointless. This is, this is pointless. And it almost derails the film a little bit towards the end. And you're like, well, please tell me this isn't where it ends. And then it ends in a different place. And I was like, okay, that's the ending I prefer. And why we ever went down this Avenue is beyond me. You can just have a scene maybe where he is confessing this and you don't have to hear any of it, or maybe it's set up in the beginning and it flashes back or whatever, you know, it's, I guess it's just based off of what kind of storytelling is your preference um, but it's, it, it's something that Petzl hasn't done in his past films that I've seen. And so I thought it was a real peculiar choice for him to do it in this film. When this is a director that's mostly showing through his actors, through the setting, through the tone of what's going on rather than actually having to tell you. And I think that that's usually his strong suit because I think that there is a lot of the film that is very silent and you're just walking with Georg towards mm-hmm. 
all these different places and you're seeing the minutia of his day of just being stuck. And that is fascinating. It's fascinating. And like you said, to find out that the only person that he can truly have some form of connection with is a child and how that relationship blossoms and develops and how it ends is truly heartbreaking. And it's a foreshadow of what comes later. You know, it, it is, is that you can't build relationships really while you're in this kind of world and it's scary and it's dangerous and it's kind of really sad because you're then at that point, every man for themselves, every woman for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a truly sad message. And, but yet yeah, beautiful at the same saying token. Everyone you love around you wants desperately to get away from you as quickly as possible. We'll also get away it's from crazy. the situation they're in because the well, situation they're in. They, they, yeah. they don't want to get away from you, but getting away from their situation means getting away from you. And they want that way more than the relationship they have with you. It's very sad. Yeah. And no, I, I do like the beginning of this film. I think it sets it up great. I think this is one of the best openings to a film. We just kind of jump right in. We kind of just meet these characters and we mm-hmm. just meet him as this kind of every man kind of, you know, he's in between all these different things. He says he's a, a TV and a radio technician, but what is he really like? It, no one really knows exactly what he they are. Definitely feels like a world. spy early on. And then we kind of figure out that he's more of a delivery boy than, than yeah. anything else. But there is a more, little bit of, of spy stuff going on. Yeah. And that's truly fascinating. And then when he's trying to escape, the 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 police or escape the 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 people in charge of mm-hmm. you know t- this nazi uh the, the fascist regime. officers yeah yes the fascist officers that's some of the best action set piece i've seen this year just the just sense of the hand-to-hand combat real quick and then the chase one of the best chase sequences i've seen on foot in quite some time and that's really the only action you get in the film but it's done so well and it makes you kind of just wonder like if he did an action movie, what would Putzel's film look like? It's truly beautiful to see that. Um, but it's also really scary because as this person is is trying to run away and try to be, you know, you know, safe another day in this crazy regime that's taking over, you feel that for him because we live in a world right now where we have so much uncertainty in certain places. We are very scared. Uh, this is a very uh, in the moment kind of movie in terms of it's showing us the past while setting it in the present and showing just how scary our present really is. And I found that to be really fascinating. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. And I also love that, you know, we talked about the modern setting and you keep referring to them as Nazis and that I, I think there are enough mentions of specific Nazi stuff for them to be Nazis, despite the setting, but I think the setting and the ambiguity of who the people really are makes it more about the idea of fascism broadly than about World War II, which is, again, something that ties it ties it more to uh, to the modern context, which yeah, yeah. I, I can't really harp on how much I love the uh, the choice to put it in uh, a modern setting enough. It's uh it's one of my favorite like directorial decisions uh, that I've seen in a movie this year. It's such a bold thing. And in a world where the Hollywood system is so scared of making choices as bold as that, I thought it was really remarkable. And I, and I really enjoyed 
that aspect of the film a lot. And I, I also love the idea that the film portrays of identity. We haven't talked much about the romance in the film, but the romance in the film is based on a lie. And uh, it's based on somebody, the ability that someone has to give someone else um, the ability to leave the country uh, on false pretenses. And there is a reveal in the middle of the film that I should have seen coming in in retrospect. But honestly, in the moment, I just didn't. And because of that, it really hit me really hard as something uh, very important. And it's also something that very much relates to Casablanca. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the similarities between those two films. But many Mm -hmm. of the decisions that the characters make in this film mirror the ones that the characters uh, make in Casablanca. Um, and, and so because of that, it feels very authentic, um, to me because I I think Casablanca was very much of its time. And the fact that this, uh, reflects Casablanca, I think says that it is very much in line with that time, which as Petzold is showing is very similar to the decisions that people are making today. Immigration and transit has been an issue for years and years and years. And the feelings that immigrants have, or people who are stuck in one place have, are the same that they were 70 years ago. They're the same that they were 150 years ago, 400 years ago. It's an extremely universal idea that Petzold is exploring. And because of that, I I found it to be very beautiful and very touching. And again, I just got to harp on uh, Petzold's ability to find beauty in the world, despite this stagnation, this sense of despair, this sense of inevitability of something bad happening. There are some truly horrific things that happen in this film. Uh, some there, there are suicides, there is murder, uh, there are obviously people being deported, and the implication of that is that they are being presumably brought to some sort of concentration camp. Or death, just straight uh, up death. Potentially, yeah. or just, yes, or just murdered. Um, and 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 despite all of that, there is a true sense of romance in the film. There is a sense of love and empathy in the film. And that's really remarkable for a movie that is as dour as this film can Mm -hmm. be. For the love story to work as well as it does, I think, is amazing. But then for the love story to fall apart the way it does, it, it makes that all the more powerful. Yeah, it makes it almost tragic in that oh, absolutely. You, know, you can't find yeah. love in this whole in this whole place. You know, it is truly that they are set in what people would mostly consider prison. Like they may be going to cafes and they may be going to eat pizza and talking to one another, but they are in a virtual prison. That is what it this is absolutely entire city yeah, is. One hundred percent. Yeah, and it is they are stuck in the middle. And while what we talk about in Casablanca that is that is played up differently in terms of tone. This is this is dour. This is this is bleak, but it's done in such a beautiful way, like you said. And yes, the romance in it it slowly builds, just like the rest of this film, and it's beautiful. And its conclusion is tragic, but it's also expected, but very unexpected. Because it's built and on it's a, a lie. Yeah, yeah, it's built Which on this lie. Which is what these lie. people have to do to survive in this environment. Yeah. They have to lie, and so because of that, Georg doesn't really feel that bad at first about this lie because it is what he has to do. He has to hide his identity. He has to assume the identity of someone else if he has any hope of getting out of this situation. But when he gets put in the situation of love, it becomes very different. Being someone else in a romantic relationship 
is unsustainable. And that's what he comes to find in the story. Or is it again, because of that ending, it's so wonderful. I love it. Yeah. And the ambiguousness that leads also to its parallels in terms of ending with Casablanca, truly fascinating because, you know, I've heard a lot of comparisons to Casablanca uh, with this film. And so I expect like in Casablanca for it to wrap up in a way that I'm familiar with. And so when I find out a certain thing happens at the end, like I said, no spoilers, I am just left with my mouth open. And I was truly impressed by the kind of bait and switch that Christian Ponsel uses, but also not surprised because that's who he is as a director. He is very much a guy that keeps you on your toes, always makes you guessing and does it in such a beautiful, tender way. I think that it is one of the best uh, looking films and directed films I've seen this year, but Jay, Let's get into some final thoughts on transit. Anything else that you would like to say about this great film? I think there are just a couple things I want to mention, and they're both songs in the film, uh, songs with words in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are there are two that really stand out. They're both on the nose, but in the best way possible. Early in the film, Georg hears a song on the radio that reminds him of a song that his mother used to sing to him. It's a very simple lullaby-like song that just says, the giraffes go home, the monkeys go home. It's just all of these elephants walking home, you know, in groups. And it just ties into the movie so wonderfully, especially when, again, you consider uh, that Georg is doing this with a child, and it's this very childlike song. And it is only the innocence of a child that can really empathize with an immigrant or a mm-hmm. potential immigrant, someone who is stuck in this city because they, it, they do not realize the implications of being involved with them. And going back to that time in Georg's life strikes a, a huge chord with him. And because of that, with me, the viewer, uh, because he is returning to a simpler time where there was no risk of getting killed just by walking down the street. Uh, and again, it's just, it just all goes back to the idea of home and he has no home in this instance. He might never really have a home again. Uh, so that was extremely powerful. And then the second one is just the best end credits needle drop of the year so far, uh, as far as I'm concerned in this film where we have not really heard any pop songs at all. Uh, all spoken in German. All of a sudden we get the talking heads as the needle drop in the end with their song uh, Road to Nowhere, which obviously, you know, very on the nose again. But when you listen to the lyrics and, you know, go and read the lyrics afterwards, it all ties in very, very perfectly. It's not the most subtle thing in the world, obviously, but just the fact that it came so far out of left field like that really left an impact on me. I mean, I was I was kind of smiling, uh, you know, between the between the ending and that song completely upending whatever I thought was going to happen in the final seconds there. Uh, I thought that was just a great way to end the film and and just a really good song to Road to Nowhere by um, the Talking Heads. Go uh, go check it out. Yeah, I, I thought that that was a real interesting choice to use at the end of the film, but one that I thought was really really good as for my final thoughts i will say this movie's beautiful oh like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's yeah, just a yeah. beautiful movie to look at there's not many films like you know we just saw miss almer last week and that movie is beautiful this is just so different in terms of how cinematography can be it's so beautiful the way that it's 
edited to some of the sharpest Great. editing. Movie has a lot of close ups. It's a lot of close ups, but you know, it's not like done in like a uh, you know a Tom Hooper kind of way, and where it's obnoxious. No, it just makes it feel really intimate. Yeah, it's a real intimate look and specific. And exactly, I and I loved it. I love the score. I think the score is beautiful and just works so well with this with this cast of characters that we get to see throughout the film. I think Franz Gro- uh, Grokowski is. Am I saying his name correct there, Jay? Um, Rogowski. Rogowski. I think he gives one of, and I know we just did this exercise last week. He gives one of my favorite performances of the year. He's awesome. It, he's so fantastic. I wish we would have seen this film ahead of time before that, because um, I definitely think he would make the list for me. Um, he, he is our eyes and ears and we see everything through him and the, the chemistry that he has with Paula Beer in this film is beautiful, tender and heartbreaking um and truly something special um i wouldn't say though this film is up to the level of phoenix that movie once you see it it's going to blow your breath away mm-hmm. but it is a wonderful follow up yeah. uh to that and using this novel and a lot of the influences from casablanca obviously um i i i was if there's ever a movie that's going to be in my wheelhouse and you tell me it's kind of a World War II movie kind of set in the kind of world or not even in the world, but like in the vein of Casablanca, it's going to be a movie like this. And uh, while I didn't like the narration, like we talked about, uh, most of this film is, is really good. And, uh, you know, it's one of those reviews where as we were talking about it and as you're talking it's uh, it's probably bumped my score up a little bit on Letterbox. So um, I'm, I win again. <laughs> exactly, I think you win again, sir. But I know JD has seen Transit. He it was one of the films he got to catch while he was on his vacation, and he has more thoughts about this film on our Letterbox page at letterboxcom film. And again, make sure to go check out Brendan's review on the website insessionfilm.com. And if you agree or disagree with our takes, JD's takes, or Brendan's takes. Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at insessionfilm at gmail.com. All right, guys, we're going to be taking a quick break here. And coming up on the other side, we will be discussing the classic Casablanca. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. All that you can rely. No matter what the future brings as time goes by Moonlight and love songs are never This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com Check out the Blueprint Review podcast at blueprintreview.co.uk this could be interesting yeah. because I know we've got some very diverse people. I'm going to be arguing with Darren a lot. Like, I think it's going to be me v you lot with Jamie Lauren yeah. sat in the middle. Well, to, to, to be honest, I think it's about expectation. Yeah. Like, I think. Yeah, I expected it to be. <laughs> 
Hello, In Session Film podcast listeners. We take a moment to interrupt this daily programming to bring you the next best picture podcast run by myself, Matt Neglia, where Michael Schwartz, Will Mavity, Dan Chiesese, Ryan C. Showers, and a slew of others, we are all on a search to find what is going to be the next best picture winner at the Oscars. Join us on our journey as we look at foreign films, documentaries, independent movies, as well as big action blockbusters. Everyone is a contender until they are not. Be sure to listen to us on all of the podcasting networks, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to come check us out on nextbestpicture.com, where we also have movie reviews, weekly polls, the before-mentioned podcast, as well as a lot more content revolving around the award season. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble. Now, back to JD and Brendan. You're listening to the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film segment. Ryan, whatever gave you the impression that I might help you escape? Well, you told me five minutes ago that you would help me escape. Well, here's looking at you, kid. You have any idea what you'd have to look forward to if you stayed here? Nine chances out of ten, we'd both wind up at a concentration camp. Isn't that true, Louis? I'm afraid, Major Strauss, I would insist. You're saying this only to make me go. I'm saying it because it's true. Inside of us, we both know you belong with Victor. You're part of his work, the thing that keeps him going. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. We didn't have, we we lost it until you came to Casablanca. We got it back last night. When I said I would never leave you. And you never will. But I've got a job to do, too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't be any part of. Ilza, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Now, now. He's looking at you, kid. And that was a clip from the absolute all-time classic 1942 film from director Michael Curtiz, Casablanca. As if I had to explain what this movie is about, it's about a cynical American expat who struggles to decide whether or not he should help his former lover and her fugitive husband escape French Morocco. The film, of course, stars the incomparable Bogey himself, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Henreid, and Claude Rains. Ryan, absolute classic here. I love it when we get to talk classics. I can't wait to talk about how this film uh, mirrors transit. I can't wait to talk about this film in general. I'm just going to go ahead and get it out of the way. Ryan, this is one of your all-time favorite films. So tell me why you personally feel like you would never leave Casablanca. Well, Jay, you are right. This is one of my 10 favorite films of all time. Wow. I would even venture to say this is my number two film of all time. Holy cow. Wow. I did Um, not know you like it that much. Yeah. This is a movie I watch at least once a year. I watch this every year on the day of the Oscars. I uh, am... Of course, the Oscar guy here at In Session Film. And I could think of no better film every year to watch than this film. It is truly a Hollywood classic. Captures that old Hollywood spirit. It does. It is extremely timely, even to today. That's why I think 
when we do talk about the connections between Christian Ponsel's transit and Michael Curtiz's Casablanca, I think that they both ring to, to the same idea, the idea of loneliness, the idea of longing for a better life and longing for someone to share it with. Um, while this film though is different, this is a true straight up love story um, with comedy and an overall hopeful tone as opposed to transit where that tone is not hopeful at all, but that's what makes that movie. I think so great. there is a little bit though. We talked There's a about little bit it. at the end, a little bit at the end, but not like this movie. This movie is extremely hopeful Yes, and has some of the best performances I've ever seen. I think it's my favorite Humphrey Bogart performance. Ingrid Bergman is out of her mind. Insanely awesome in this movie. And I think Claude Rains is one of the best supporting actors in any film. Um, just, I would, I don't know how he never got an Oscar for it. It's, it's one of those, you just go, how dare you? And it's got one Mr. of the Oscar, greatest. What Oscars did this win by the way? Well, this did win best picture. Yep. And it won best director mm-hmm. and it won best adapted screenplay. So it only walked away with three, mm-hmm. but it walked away with the key three, which is screenplay director no love for bogey yeah no love for bogey and ingrid bergman actually she campaigned from who uh, from whom the bell stole the hemingway adaptation Mm -hmm. of the time so she didn't campaign for this film so she didn't put herself up for this film and a lot of people um say that that was a mistake obviously because this movie was not considered to be uh a film that was going to win best picture um you know it came out in um you know it came out in for the 1944 Oscars because of the war and it was delayed and everything. And, um, you know, she, so from whom the bells toll was the one that she put up. And back then you didn't have like this whole thing where you can, you know, put yourself up for multiple films. It was one film and that's it. And, uh, so she went with a different film and she made an absolute mistake in that department. Um, but this was a, this was a film year which was pretty interesting, Jay, because this one was a year where there were 10 films nominated for Best Picture. And until recent times, it was the last film. And I remember that the year that the Academy switched to the 10 films uh, at the beginning of the, I believe, this decade, um, that uh, Tom Hanks actually went up there and said that this is the first time since this bogey Bergman classic. So this has complete historical precedence. Um, but beyond its Oscars ramification, this is the greatest screenplay ever written in the history of film. It has, in my opinion, some of the most memorable lines in any film um, and has characters that are charming and funny, but also devious and scary um, and characters that you root for, but then you also root against your allegiances changed throughout this film. Um, and by the end, obviously this movie was out in 1942. So we're going to probably spoil it at a certain point. I won't spoil it right now in my opening thoughts, but by the end of the film, you're left on such a rush and such a high. And then with such a smile on your face that you want to see it again. It's extremely rewatchable. It's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, it gets like this rap of, you know, Oh, because it's this supposed classic and everybody loves it, that it's overrated. And it seems to be like a popular choice now amongst people to say it's overrated or there's other better films. 
And I hear people say that about Singing in the Rain or The Godfather or, you know, Vertigo or 2001 or Citizen Kane. You know, it's not cool just because of the fact that you think that you're making some sort of hot take out there, guys. It you're because you're wrong. Uh, this is the one time I will always say I will ever say this. You guys are just wrong about this. This movie is is perfect. It's not a bad thing about it. It's it's truly remarkable, um, and it holds up. And that's what you can't say about a lot of movies from back then. Is that it holds up, and it's probably the greatest romance ever put to screen. And um, it gets me every time. And I can quote the whole damn movie like I really could. And um, I I love this Jay. I I'm so happy that we get to talk about this because I'm I could go on and on and on, but I love it. I love it. Yeah, we could have talked about some disposable movie of of now because uh, we we were kind of straining to pick something, but instead we decided to talk about this one, and I'm really glad we did as well. I love it too. I don't love it quite as much as you do, but um, it it is undeniably one of the most influential movies of all time. It it sort of established modern movie structure, and and in a time. Mm-hmm when movies were often much longer uh, than this movie, which is like a uh, an easy hour 42 or something, I believe. Very, yeah. yeah very uh, it, easy hour 42. It is so efficient in its storytelling. And that will be the legacy of this film. Like you said, there were very low expectations for this movie. They weren't expecting much. They didn't think it would have much of an impact. They certainly didn't think it would be an awards winner or a moneymaker. And instead they got this instant classic one of the most important films of all time from the very beginning of this movie it establishes an extremely lived in world the first scene where you have these guys very similar to transit uh you you have these guys who are asking for people's visas and and whether they're allowed to be there or not and first scene of the film doesn't have his paperwork gets murdered (laughs) And immediately you understand what the ramifications of having your papers or not having your papers are. You understand how valuable a visa is or transit papers are. uh, And you understand that this is kind of the Wild West. Anything sort of goes. There are people that are in charge and they can almost do whatever they want. And then you go to Rick's, this incredibly well-designed little club that Humphrey Bogart's character, Rick, owns some of the best production design. Um, And and just the the old time sets are just I I love them. They are so old Hollywood. They don't feel real, but they feel like what should be in a movie. Yeah. Uh, And that's what I love about it. It is a movie through and through in the best ways, in the most classic ways, in the most romantic ways. It just gives you that feeling of the movies, you know, just the, the old school ideal of what a movie should be. That is what Casablanca is. The performances are a little heightened, but again, it's what a 1940s movies should have been. It's, you know, you, when you compare it to transit, which is a very down to earth, again, melancholy kind of movie, everyone is playing it extremely straight, which works perfectly in that film. But when you compare it to this, which is so similar on a story level and a thematic level, although certainly much, much lighter in Casablanca. But again, you have somebody getting murdered in the first scene of Casablanca. It plays it 
much, it's not nearly as violent as um, Transit is. In fact, there's no, like, the, you see him get shot and he literally just falls down. There's no bullet hole. There's no blood. There's no nothing. He just falls. <laughs> but that's just kind of what it was. That's how movies were made. That's what people were shown. You're showing them a very harrowing incident without the explicit, um, what would have explicitly happened uh, if it were real life. Again, it's a movie through and through. And the the plotting of this thing, it just clicks by so efficiently. There is no wasted second in this movie. Everything builds to one of the best final scenes in cinema history. It completely deserves its reputation um, as one of the best examples of an efficient screenplay. This is a model screenplay. And there are great performances and one of the best songs in any movie, one of the most <sighs> memorable songs in in any movie. It's um it's a wonderful, wonderful movie that I understand why you watch it every single year because it is so rewatchable, nice and short and breezy and lovely. I, I love this movie. Yeah, we don't we don't have movies like this anymore. You know, we don't we don't get films like this anymore where it's quick to denounce, but we establish this world that is one that obviously these characters want to escape from, but it's obviously one we want to go to and continue to yeah, go to. Yeah, that's very true. So many decades later, almost 80 years, you know, since this release. And yet we continue to watch Casablanca and we continue to be fascinated by it. And you mentioned, you know, the, the similarities. I and mean, when that's what we're here to do is have this conversation about similarities between this and transit. This movie is centered around letters of transit, literally, Two letters of transit. And yeah, I think the, we know I where think these. We are immediately shown the trail, the refugee trail. Yeah. And it starts out in Paris and goes to Marseille, is the second stop on the trail. It's the exact same thing that we see in uh, transit. Yeah. And we're, and we're set upon this world that seems really fun and really, you know, lavish. And, you know, there's drinking and gambling and all this. All the people know each other and they, they laugh and they joke and everything, right? But. There is, like you said, there is seriousness that is involved in this. You know, you talk about there are stakes, the, absolutely. Yeah, you talk about the the shootings in the beginning of the film. Uh, you talk about the the scene with Peter Lorre being poli- uh, you know arrested and shot in the bar by the police, and you know, obviously, you know, his plea to Rick to hide him. And even before and, that, you find out that Peter Lorre murdered two guys for their papers. Exactly, and he and he and then you also find out that Claude Rains. This you know this great you know character that is this Captain great Louis Rick. yeah, and that you find out that Louis is basically having sex with girls on the side in order to pass their papers on so that they can move on and pot or might not even be doing that might to be doing it over and over again as his kind of side project, if it were, and it's truly when you watch it and you think about it. You you see this character and he's this you know this fun character, but he's also very sinister, right? But it's the name of the game. Yeah, that probably it's, wouldn't it's, play it's, today. But uh, it doesn't play today at all. But when and it doesn't really and you don't really see it unless you watch kinda, it. Uh, charming and and you you like Louis for sure. Yeah, you like him, but then there are the sinisterness of this place. You know, uh, you have Ferrari who owns the other place that takes Rick's cargo and takes his own before it's shipped over to him and it's just kind of like oh what are you going to do fight fight him over it you know what i mean um and you know sydney green street does a great job of playing that character obviously that they work together him and bogey on the maltese falcon 
Um, but it, you know, you, you have all these characters that come in here and you have, um, you know, disposable characters that, that literally Humphrey Bogart throws away. And why does he throw away Yvonne? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other girl that, uh, that uh, Claude Rain says, maybe I'll get her on the rebound, you know, kind of have your seconds with her because he's not satisfied with the relationship because he wants Ilsa, you know, because Ilsa broke his heart. And what's great about this film, it is this man who's very serious and very, you know, everybody thinks he's very uh, purposeful. He's very uh, down the middle, takes no sides, no allegiance, except for obviously the woman that he loves. But the woman he loves is married to this man that can change the world, that could change the war. You know what I mean? And it's very much that that sense of that, you know, back then this hope, right? That there's always going to be something in terms of tyranny. There will be a, a shining light of hope. And that is what Victor Laszlo is for the cause, right? For the allies so that they can tell his story so that it could be known worldwide what is going on in Europe, right? And obviously, uh, you know, Major Strasse is trying to, stop him from doing that. And it's up to Rick by the end of this film to make that, that ultimate decision. Does he selfishly, like he always says, I stick my neck out for nobody and selfishly go with Elsa on that plane. Or does he do the right thing? And when he does the right thing at the end, it's beautiful because it's the ultimate human sacrifice. And it's very similar to the ending of transit. It is this ultimate sacrifice Mm -hmm. that leads to, um, a sense of of finality that is very questionable and you don't know what's going to happen yeah except unsurprisingly hope. the same action in transit ends up very tragic yes that that ends up on a totally different spectrum than this mm-hmm. this is extremely more hopeful than that and that's what i love about this movie is that in the time of war it was hopeful and it was perceived as propaganda but it's not propaganda in the sense of a negative a thing, bit. in a sense of a negative <laughs> thing, it's propaganda in sense of hope, and Anti-Nazi hopefully that our world can will always play though. So it's, uh, it, I mean, it's okay. I mean, what would you rather it be the opposite no, way? No, no, that, that's what, what I mean? I'm saying. So, it's like you can't yeah. really hate on a film for being like wartime. F the Nazis because yeah uh, yeah F the Nazis because <laughs> they're bad people. <laughs> no no so, good, very bad. Don't do it. No. No yeah. Nazis. And, we're um, a, we're and an anti-Nazi I mean, podcast. We're going to put it out there. I'll go out on a limb. <laughs> we're an anti-Nazi podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 100% we're an anti-Nazi podcast. But um, I, I I just, I also love the relationship. We talked about the, the relationship between the two characters in transit. I mean, Rick and Elsa are just iconic romantic connection. And the way that she's desperate, you know, to be with Victor. And, you know, but also wants to be with Rick and how conflicted she is. And one of the first films to ever use flashbacks, you talked about that with its structure of its script, right? And using this flashback to show a time right before the war when these two barely knew each other, but knew everything about one another and knew that they loved each other. It's so beautiful. And using, of course, that song as time goes by, which is, I mean it's kind of hitting the, you know, the the nail right on the head right there, Jay, as time goes by and what this oh, means, sure. of course, the movie and times and whatever, but it's perfect. Just like the it's, music it's, in transit on the nose, but perfect. Exactly. And that's another thing that it has in common and the direction it uses, you know, in this film from Michael Curtiz, 
is very simple and very beautiful, but yet the sets are, are, are a character. The place is a character, but it's still that prison. Like I talked about in transit, it's still a prison for all these people. They can't go back to America. Rick talks about how I wonder what they're doing in New York right now. I wonder what they're doing all around the world. And he's stuck at this bar, a, a place that brings stuck. so many it's people a joy about being stuck largely yeah. too, Rick, for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, he's stuck at this bar and he sees her walk in and she leaves and everybody leaves. And, you know, Sam comes to try to console him and he just can't think about anything but being stuck and thinking about being stuck alone without That's her. a great it's scene. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to mention that every time uh, Ingrid Bergman is on screen or any woman in general, it looks like if they tilt their head ever so slightly, they will go blind because of how they are lit in this movie. <laughs> they they all certainly look angelic, that is for sure. And the lighting is a huge part of this movie. The use of shadow, uh, specifically when Rick, I remember at one moment, he's out of the room like pouring a drink or something, and they put this giant spotlight on him to give his reflection on the wall behind him. It's, it's so good. Again, so classic Hollywood. Uh, I want to talk to you for a second about you. You talked about the last scene and Rick's motivations. Cause I was reading some stuff about the movie after I watched it. And I saw one argument that he does it not for moral reasons, but because of, he wants the best for Ilsa. Mm-hmm. Do you think he does it because Laszlo has a greater purpose or because he thinks it's, what's best for Ilsa or both? It's a little bit of both, in my opinion. I, I think that like, you know, like Louis says to him, he's a sentimentalist. You know, he, he, he believes in doing the right thing, even though he may put up this hard facade, right? Mm-hmm. And he wants Laszlo. He's impressed by Laszlo. When they first meet, he's, he's very impressed. He's like, you know, Laszlo says to him, when everybody comes to Casablanca, they, they talk of Rick. And then, you know, Bogey goes back at him and says, well, when people talk about Victor Laszlo, they talk, you know, everybody talks about him, you know, around the world. And he's very not like, oh, look at me, I'm Victor Laszlo. He's very reluctant to take this role of being this leader. And he shows it throughout this entirety. He's like, I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want um to have this responsibility even though it's 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 the cause is bigger than him you know it's 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 thousands and thousands of people and you can see how much of a leader he is when the germans are singing their song right singing um the watch mm-hmm. on on the rhine uh and laszlo gets to the band and plays play la masers yeah love that and, scene. yeah and he looks right at rick you know and so does the band and he goes yeah do what the man says he knows how important Laszlo is. And that scene is so beautiful because that is a that is that propaganda used at its finest, right? A rally cry for all those that are in stress or in uh control of these Germans to sing loud, sing and that, proud. In, a, no. in an American movie is not yeah. you know the Star Spangled Banner. It's the the French anthem, which is interesting for yeah. a movie like that. No subtitles even either. No subtitles yeah, either. Yeah. And so I think that there is always that thing about Rick. And that, you know, he tells you know, him the truth at the end, his version of the truth in that, you know, he, she came the night before and, you know, she wanted to, you know, leave. And, and I told her she had to go with you because you're, you have to make this call. And then obviously he leaves her pretty shocked 
that, you know, he's kind of letting her go with Victor and their faces say it all when they walk on that plane. It might not be a good marriage or it might not be a great ride to America for those two, but it, they have to realize, and they're still going over what Rick did, which was that ultimate sacrifice of both the war and his love for Ilsa, which, you know, obviously he loves her more than anything. And to, to do that, it was the ultimate sacrifice. So yeah, he, he does that to let go of her for her to be in the safest place in the right place. And also for, you know, to be on the winning side for once. I, I was always kind of under the impression that he did it not because of her, but because he felt a moral obligation to let Laszlo kind of do, do the greater good because he had more influence. I mean, he talks in the movie earlier about like, uh, the problems of three people don't amount to what, like a, a, a whatever. A hell of beans. Yes, yeah. e- exactly. Yeah. And, and I think he realizes that Laszlo will be an inspirational influence and he is very important to the war effort. And I think the morality is established early in the film. You know, when he's talking about, oh, you used to run guns to Ethiopia and you fought against the fascists in Spain. Mm-hmm. I think it is very much. And again, that's just another example of great scripting and, and great storytelling you see throughout the movie he's not the the most congenial with the nazis in the film it is established very heavily that uh he is a man of moral integrity uh even if he's not afraid to skirt around the rules a little bit when it comes to the casino and the rules of casablanca itself but again like he never is the one actually selling the visas he just lets it go on in his bar because he knows it'll make him money Uh, He's never really doing anything illegal. He might turn a blind eye every now and then, but then in this one moment, he must make a very active decision to let Laszlo take his place on the plane, which is Mm -hmm. a decision he would not have made uh, in the first scene of the movie, which again, great scripting, great storytelling, great character development. You plant the seed of the character early on in the film and have it pay off at the end. It all tracks this entire movie tracks perfectly. And I, I had forgotten about all of the great lines that yeah. Bogart has in this movie. Mm-hmm. He has some of the best snarky comebacks <laughs> and one-liners ever. I love it. I love it. Like, I have what a is favorite. The guy like? Oh, he's like, uh, what kind of man is he? Oh, he's like every other man, only a little more. Uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. My, uh, favorite, my favorite, Jay, is when Major Strasse gives him like the dossier that they've run on him, right? He's like, are my eyes brown? Oh, yes. Oh, you know so I mean? good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, are they really brown? Uh, that slays me every time. Yes. It slays it, me it's a, it's a very funny movie, uh, which I had kind of forgotten about. I, I, I thought of it as this very light, romantic, enjoyable movie without remembering, you know, the really heavier moments, the, the stakes mm-hmm. that they do establish so well, and the really funny conversations and jokes that Humphrey Bogart has in this movie and how funny I think Claude Rains is in the movie. So, so good. He's, I mean, he's just, he's phenomenal. And, and the final scene between him and uh, Rick, again, they planted the seed for it early on in the movie because these two guys do live by a very similar code. And in the end, they come together as the, the, the the kind of same moral fiber they they cut they are cut from the same moral cloth uh, and in the end it is the start in fact of uh, a beautiful a beautiful friendship yeah no it's 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 a great ending and I mean it has one of the funniest bits I think I've ever seen it's right after Mesa Strasser kind of 
tears down and says, shut this place down to, uh, to Louie. And he, he goes and he shuts it all down. And, and, you know, Rick comes up to him and is like, why, why are you shutting us down? He's like, I'm shocked. I'm shocked to find gambling going on in this establishment. And the guy behind the roulette, well, here are your winning start. He's like, all right, thank you. And, you know, <laughs> and he walks off with them. It's, it, it's all those little things that go in it. And it's within this moments of like tenseness and drama that we find this, this humor in it. You know, the, it's the night after Elsa comes back to the bar and, and the guy behind the bar is like pouring Rick drinks. He's like, Mr. Rick, you're becoming your, you know, your best customer because you're drinking yourself out of house and home. And there's, there's so many great lines, like you mentioned. And yeah, that ending, that final shot of them walking off, which is obviously a set, but supposedly the runway in the film, you know, have a little of imagination people. Um, and Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. It's, it's a perfect ending. It's a perfect movie, Jay. I mean, there's, there's nothing bad about this movie and I'm glad that you've, uh, found some more of the dark tones to go with it, and and, uh, and hopefully many more people can be like that, you know, and not just write it off as just like this romance because there's there's more underlyingness to this film than I think that you could you can see, and you have to see it obviously multiple times. Um, but it's one of those, like you said, it's only a, a one hour and forty two minutes, and it just moves. You got to say that about this movie; it moves mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah, no, I agree, right? and and I and I think um, you know on the. If I will do a little nitpick, because I do love this movie, again, not not quite as much as you do, but I imagine the stakes, it doesn't ever really feel like they're in, in any sort of peril. Uh, they, they do establish the world really well, but there's never really a sense that they specifically are in any danger. I'm never worried about Laszlo. I'm never worried about Rick. I'm never worried about Ilsa, which is you know very much of the time. It kind of keeps yeah. it from being what I consider to be a, a true, truly one of my favorite films of all time. But again, that's a nitpick. It's it's obviously uh, a really really great movie, and and you know, like you said, uh, the, the one liners I love. I, I, I there's one moment where he tells the the bartender, uh, you know, here take her home, be quick, which is an extremely inappropriate line, but also got a chuckle out of me. The implication being that he was going to take advantage of her in her drunken stupor, but the delivery of Bogart is really good, and the reaction of the waiter is is very funny. And well, despite I don't really the, think it's. I don't really think it's that. He, it, I think you're misinterpreting the line. It's that he he says, "Be quick in getting her home," and that's supposed to because he has a flirt with her. You know, he he has a crush on her. You know, he's like, and then be back quick. You know what I mean? And he's I, like, yes, I, boss. I, I you know appreciate I mean? your your innocent interpretation of that scene. <laughs> uh. Well, I mean, I mean, he, you know, he isn't. It isn't. He has a crush on her. Obviously, it's then you know later revealed that she starts dating. Uh, this this not this German officer uh-huh. uh, to get Rick jealous. Uh, she's very you know she's very much a flirt and she's but she's also just mostly trying to get Rick jealous because that's who she's mostly interested in. Obviously, Rick is not interested in her at all, but he is he is smitten over her, and so he tells her to go home and you know and and tells him to take her home, but then come right back. And the disappointment of like, oh man, I don't get to you know I don't get to live out my dream of being with her, and I yeah it can be very sinister, but it's it's. It's not implied, I think, as much as like Louis earlier in the film with like the 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 woman and her husband, you know, and then the roulette table and that reveal and Rick ruining that for Louis and him coming out to him and says, you ruined my little game or whatever that I was playing with her. That is crazy. Like, that's the thing is that these I people the are very rude. I think that part exists would imply that the other part yeah. It certainly is capable of existing. Yeah, and I think you know, it does you're, exist. You're, but, you're but I'm probably not going right. to dwell on it. I'm not going to dwell on it. Yeah. it it's, it's, you know. It's of a different era, uh, you know. It, it's not 
nearly as explicit as a lot of the other stuff was even far after this movie. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I again, maybe, a, maybe a, a small gripe, but nothing that would disqualify this movie of its greatness or its, its status as a classic. But Ryan, why don't you give me a few final thoughts on Casablanca? Yeah. And kind of going off of that, you know, look, you know, there are things in this film that if, you know, that we brought up that if you look at it through a 2019 lens, it's, it's very, it's kind of shocking because, you know, you think of Casablanca as this classic, but you know, these people, you have to think back kind of like in transit, like these people aren't the best people in the world. You know, they're not like your friends. You're not going to hang out with them. They are despicable human beings living in, in a place that, you know, they even say it like, you know, diamonds don't sell as much as like humans do on that kind of black market out there. So it's very much a, a doggy dog world at this time in this place. And it's very much this, this center of everyone being desperate and cheap and mean and, and set, of course, within this Hollywood kind of backdrop of this beautiful romance. Um, and I didn't really get to mention uh, her performance, but Ingrid Bergman is perfect in this movie. She is one of the greatest actresses of all time. And uh, this is my favorite performance by her, obviously. Um, and she's given so many great performances, but I mean, just the way she enters that. And then when Sam sees her be, you know, in the bar, knows exactly what kind of trouble they're about to get in. And then that classic scene where, you know, she tells him to play as time goes by and you see Sam sing that it's one of my favorite moments in film history. And you mentioned it earlier, Jay, it is, it is my favorite song in film history of all time. You know, I don't know. We contemplated dancing to this song actually at my wedding. We didn't um, choose it. I think it was like number two mm-hmm. on that list. Kind of like the movie is number two on my old time favorite list. Um, but how um, apropos. But it's it's beautiful, and you know, um, I, I I love this movie, and I know that it may sound like I'm fanboying bigger than any other film Fanboy I have out, this year. Man, it's go trippy. off, go you know, off. It's it's. It, it's perfect. And you know, I was, I was able to, and this will be my final point. I was able a couple of years ago, thanks to my wife to go to Austin and see a double feature of the Maltese Falcon in, you know, reg- regular digital format, but then be able to see this movie in 35 millimeter Ooh, film boy at the Paramount theater in Austin, Texas. And it was beautifully restored. That's the awesome. sound was perfect quality. So uh, I know a lot of of times in the summer, local you know art house places or uh, theaters will sell tickets or and show restorated films. If this one does play uh, in your area and you haven't seen it, uh, I would recommend everyone to go see it. And, like take, take the family. It's it's definitely a you know it's light enough for for people to for the serious things that we did talk about to go over their heads, but also it's just one of the greatest films of all time. And it's a true classic and we don't get movies like this anymore where it's just, it's just the right amount of Hollywood put in this great storytelling and superb acting with direction by Michael Curtiz. That is understated. You know, obviously the script and the acting is fantastic, but his direction and is, is, is what holds the glue together. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I love this movie, Jay. 
yeah, really glad we got to talk about it for you, one of your all-time favorites. Maybe that means we'll have to we'll have to choose one of my all-time favorites sometime soon in the future. But oh boy! <laughs> but uh, I, I think my final thought. Yeah, we're going to talk about MacGruber. Uh, I I think my oh I love fi- that movie. Yeah, it's great. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, my final thought is going to be just just sort of a reflection on one of the things I I got to do in college. I saw this film for the first time in a film class in school, and we were given an assignment, which was to rescore the entire movie, which was a really awesome, fun exercise. And I, I tried to infuse it with a bunch of like modern pop stuff. I used like Arctic Monkeys. I used Radiohead, um, the, a bunch of songs kind of in that vein to that. I thought tonally fit the, the scenes in the movie. And, you know, I'm sure if I went back and looked at it now, it would be just an absolute disaster, but but it really gave me an appreciation for scoring and soundtrack and, and how music uh, impacts the film experience, the, the your experience watching a film. And, you know, you listen to the score now, it, it just plays you. I mean, it, it, the, the score absolutely uh, impacts how you feel. And this is a really, really great score. And like we said, as time goes by, just... Uh, a great song that completely fits the film and is an absolute all-time classic just like the film is. Incredible script, incredible performances, some of the most memorable scenes in film history. It's just an undeniable classic. And, and again, I'm really glad we got to talk about it. But I don't know if J.D. or Brendan have really given their thoughts on this film on Letterboxd, but if they have, or if you want to see any of their thoughts on any other movie, you can see those on letterboxd.com slash in session film. And if you agree or disagree with our takes on Casablanca, which I mean, come on, you should agree with them because it's a great movie. You can let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram page, or you can email us at in at gmail.com. And with that, that'll do it for this week's show. Just a friendly reminder, while you're over there leaving comments on our social media pages, you can follow us also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And like I said, we do try to respond to every single piece of email that you guys send us. And that email, again, is insessionfilm at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And while you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. I always love reading the reviews. I scour them way, way, way too often. Our podcasts are also syndicated every week at geekcastradio.com, the Podfix Network, and the Lamb Podcast Network. And you can also check out our Listen Now page on our website at insessionfilm.com slash listen dash now. And the In Session Film Podcast is supported by our awesome listeners like you. If you want to help us out, you can go over to our website at insessionfilm.com and click on our main menu to find our bonus content tab. Bonus content. To hear our bonus content for just a small donation of 99 cents, you can check out the In Session Film Store, or you can just go to InSessionFilm.com slash donate, and you'll see all of our information there on how you can help us out. You can also hear all of our amazing shows that we do on our mobile app for just a one-time fee of $1.99. You can find our app on the Amazon market for Android devices, the Windows 10 phone store for Windows devices, and the Podcast Source app for iOS devices. And you can see all those details at InSessionFilm.com slash apps. And just a friendly reminder, once again, that episode 334 this week will be a review of The Farewell, the poll, and the top three for this week to be determined, though there might be a nice little surprise during that episode to be continued. Anyway, before we head out of here today, 
Jay Ledbetter, any final thoughts you have on this week's episode? Absolutely, Ryan. We got to talk about your boy, your number one athlete. We're going in session sports here. Your boy, Kawhi Leonard. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about him. Here we go, Ryan. Just give me your thoughts on the Kawhi Leonard situation real quick, and then I'll give mine because I got to hear. For everyone who doesn't know, uh, Ryan is a fan of the San Antonio Spurs, the team that Kawhi Leonard used to play for and spurned and basically quit on and has mm-hmm. now won a championship with another team and is now on another team. So, so Ryan, give me give me your thoughts on the updated, very interesting Kawhi situation. I mean, I, I could care less what happens to that man. Um, I'm sure he finally got what he wanted, which was uh, not only to uh, screw over my team, but then uh, rip out the hearts of an entire country. So he went from one city to an entire country by abandoning of the Toronto Raptors. Oh yeah, sure. For one title. Now that team gets to go into obscurity and uh, yeah, he got to go home because uh, that's what him and his uncle wanted. Um, so congratulations on that. Good job on uh, also uh, stealing Paul George, uh, a man that literally signed a contract last year and that you tampered with in order to get him on the Clippers. Congratulations to that only in Los Angeles markets. Will the NBA allow such a terrible thing to happen? Uh, really, makes you want to watch football more than it wants to watch basketball that being said uh, my spurs uh, i love my spurs um i'd rather be with this band of misfits and be the seventh seed than be anywhere near a title with that clown so i hope that he uh plays well for all you clipper fans out there that's if he wants to play because he likes to make up phantom injuries that don't exist um and likes to you know basically do what is load management which is i mean kind of ridiculous because greg popovich kind of invented that and did that for him anyway but that's beside the point um so uh yeah i mean who could care less Uh, and if anything go lebron and i hope they sweep him in the season series and uh yeah i hope anthony davis breaks his ankles Um, so yes, uh, Kawhi Leonard is whatever the opposite of Casablanca is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, that, that is basically where we're at awful. there. I got, I got he's climax. He is climax. I gotta yeah, give, that, he is, he is Gaspar Noah to me, man. I gotta give, uh, I gotta give Kawhi credit, man. He is the Machiavelli. Master manipulator. Machiavelli of the NBA, dude. First of all, all right. Toronto fans are going to love Kawhi forever because he got him a championship. They would never wow. sniff another championship if it wasn't for Kawhi Leonard. Right. They should go ahead and raise his jersey in the rafters, retire his number, because he's going to give them something that uh, they would never have otherwise and probably will never have again. And the, the NBA, as much as every team likes to have hope, there are so few franchises that ever win a championship. It is a league of dynasties. It is a league of franchises who remain mm-hmm. relevant and continue to win championships throughout generations. Oh, you mean like like how he, like how he could with with San Antonio, but that's beside the point. That's beside um I think if you look at the way that San Antonio was structured and where that team was headed, I I don't know that they would have had the same opportunity in San Antonio. Additionally, if oh, he felt okay. that the San Antonio Spurs were not treating his injury correctly, I kind of understand why he left. Uh, I do think it was a little shady how it all turned out, but mm-hmm. uh, as as far as, you know, he left. He has the right to leave. Imagine yourself being at a job where you thought the company was treating you poorly and you weren't allowed to leave. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's totally different circumstances. but I, It's a it's a job. 
You know, yeah, it's well, a you know he he was under contract. He didn't play seventy three games. He uh, didn't. Uh, he was in Philadelphia, and we were trying to talk to him, and he was kind of like hiding from room to room, kind of like like one of those things in like a Scooby Doo episode. And uh, yeah, when my coach's wife died, he didn't want to show up for anything and be around his teammates. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the person he is. So um, you know. No one else to tell you there, Jay. I think Kawhi Leonard's approval rating is higher than it has ever been right now. After the way mm. that he played the NBA like a funky fiddle, the way that he spurned the Lakers and made this yeah. league. As... That was the only good thing about this. <laughs> that was the only good thing about they, this. Is... As a lifelong Spurs fan, to see the Lakers get messed up like that, that was the only enjoyment. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll give you credit there. That's a pretty baller move. But it's still pretty awful the way you did it. There is uh, there is more parity in the NBA than there has been in like a decade. It's a really cool time to be an NBA fan, and that there are there are ten teams that you could make a case for winning the championship this year. And yeah. for the record, it's not tampering if it's players; it's only if it's team officials. <laughs> so, that's so, so BS, and you know it. I'm just telling you. So I'm just telling yeah. you. I'm just telling yeah, you well, that, that is the rule. You know, and they also traded away a ton of assets. It's yeah. the the spot that Oklahoma City is in right now to do that trade. They were nowhere close to a championship. The way that the league is currently set up and they played for the future and also they're very cheap and want to get under the luxury tax so it's uh you know a bunch of factors that came together for paul george and Kawhi leonard to somehow get together on this team they're both injury prone um you know it could totally blow up and that's what's so exciting is we have all of these teams that are unknown quantities at this point so many players mixing and matching and new players in new places yeah. It's going to be a really exciting season, and the way that Kawhi Leonard was able to manipulate his free agent situation, I thought was so impressive. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, it's so wide open that, I mean, maybe we meet in the first round of the playoffs, and maybe we kick his ass. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, because that would be the ultimate thing, right? Yeah. Is if he came back to San Antonio like he did last year during the regular season and got beat by almost 30 yeah. points. I mean that that would be Who's great Kawhi? because, I mean, hmm, I'll probably put Rudy Gay on him. Who's guarding Paul you know? George? Those are like the two <laughs> biggest mismatches ever for that team. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about that. I mean, some you know they got what Patrick Beverly and his yeah his, good uh, good defender. contentious very good blood on, on on the po- starting point guard. Yeah, I, trust me, I'll take Pop. Over Doc, oh, which is imagine I mean, Kawhi if he, Leonard guarding if he DeMar thought, DeRozan. Oh my gosh, he, that's a massacre. Oh, yeah, it's a massacre on Kawhi. Um, just probably step on his ankle, you know, do a little Zaza Pachulia on him. I'm sure he'll he'll love that little love tap. Anyway, for um, my final thoughts, we're going to transition <laughs> away from uh, that terrible human being. Actually, talk about um, a more serious note, Jay, um, because it was just uh, announced that uh, actor. Uh, veteran actor Rip Torn uh, has passed away. What? Um, I did not know yeah. this. Yeah, Rip Torn. For most of you, uh, might know him from uh, playing Zed in the original Men in Black movies. Oh. Uh, his his run on the the Larry Sanders show, and obviously his classic performance as Patches O'Houlihan in the Dodgeball movie. Um, obviously, he has many other high acclaimed uh, films. Was even an Oscar nominee back in 1984 for. Uh, Cross Creek, so uh, one of one of the 
uh, great veteran actors that we had, and he died at 88. Jay, um, any any thoughts that you have on on Rip Torn as an actor? No, that's uh, a, I I did not know this. Is this a new development that I that I just? Yeah, it just it just came through. Wow, wow, uh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, no. I mean, look, Rip Torn was a, a great performer. I, I uh, that's it's it's really really sad. He could kind of do it all. He could be a dramatic actor. He was a great comedic performer, like you said in Dodgeball. I mean what a memorable character that was in like the dumbest movie ever, but he played it yeah. so straight that it became a, you know, nobody has delivered the line. Uh, do I have to drink my own urine? No, but I, <laughs> but it's sterile and I like the taste. I like the taste. He delivers yeah. that. Like, like you and I are, are talking about what we're having for dinner. Uh, yeah. and that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of who Rip Torn was. He committed, he had the most unique voice, such a unique look. He's uh, he was a memorable presence on screen, and that's very very sad. Yeah, and I mean, he obviously also cites that wonderful line that you just said. He has uh, that's the one he'll be remembered for. I think he'll also be remembered for if you could dodge a wrench, you can dodge the ball, <laughs> and throwing that wrench yeah. at Justin Long's face. Um, and then if you can dodge traffic, you can dodge a ball. You know, yeah. I mean that that movie is one of it's. I mean, it's it's a bad movie probably. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, great but when cable I, when watch, I, I gotta say. Yeah, I, yeah, probably a really great cable watch. Uh, but it's one that I enjoyed good, a lot. But, yeah, yeah, but he's great in it. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, talk about a, a guy that can be really good, and he's he's also really great in the Men in Black movies. You mm-hmm. know, kind of playing like the Honcho, and especially in that first Men in Black. Um, you know, opposite Tommy Lee Jones, it just kind of has the like serious tone like Tommy Lee Jones in that film. So. Um, obviously going to be missed, uh, rest in peace to, to a great actor. Absolutely. Um, and with that, that's going to do it for this week's extra film. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you guys next week. shows like it at oddfixnetwork.com.